Chapter 2. Some Advantages of a Young Man in Christ First, a young man in Christ has the advantage that the greatest burden of this mortal life is off his shoulders. He is less weighted in the race of life than most men, for the main load of life is sin, the consciousness of having broken the law of God, the consciousness that all is not right, and this is gone from him. A man in Christ has confessed his sin to his Lord, and there is a promise that he who confesses and forsakes his sin will find mercy. Proverbs 28:13. He has looked to Jesus, the great sin-bearer, and he has seen his sin transferred to the great substitute and put away. Now, being justified by faith, he has peace with God through Jesus Christ his Lord. Romans 5:1. That great burden has gone. When a man sits quietly in his room at night and begins to think over his past life, it will make him tremble unless he is able to see Christ on the cross putting away sin, and unless he knows by the assuring witness of the Holy Spirit that his transgressions were thus put away. Then the nightmare of a half-awakened conscience is gone. The dreadful burden from his spirit is lifted, and he is another man, a man with this wonderful advantage that no matter what burdens he has to bear, the intolerable weight of sin is gone, forever gone. Better still, he has the further advantage that all his major matters are perfectly safe. He goes into business knowing that he may lose a fortune with the turn of the market, but his best capital is settled upon him forever. It might be that everything goes against him week after week, but he is like little faith, of whom John Bunyan says that the thieves robbed him of all his spending money, but they could not find his jewels, for they were hidden away where no one could reach them. Footnote. Little faith is a character in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, which is available from Aneco Press. The Christian man feels the same way. I may lose everything I possess of worldly substance, but I will never lose my God and while I possess my God and my hope, I can still take arms against a sea of troubles and, by opposing, end them. Footnote. This quote is from Act Three of William Shakespeare's play Hamlet. I heard of someone who walked down the burrow with unpardonable carelessness, carrying a considerable sum of money in his coat pocket. As he stopped to look in a window, a thief stole his handkerchief from that very pocket. He was not at all distressed about that loss when he reached home, for, thrusting his hand to the bottom of his pocket, he found that the parcel that contained his money was still there. He said, I've not lost the money, and I care little for the handkerchief. In fact, he seemed so happy that his money was safe that he forgot the other loss. In the same way, a man in Christ considers all that he has on earth to be inconsiderable compared with the treasure of salvation that he knows to be secure in the keeping of his Redeemer. His sorrow at any present loss is swallowed up in the joy that his eternal interests are safe. As for his minor burdens, this is another point of advantage to a Christian man, for by faith he leaves them with God, and he expects good to come from them. He believes that any evil that happens to him is robbed of its sting and is made to benefit him. He bears the misfortunes of life not merely with patience, but with submission in the will that appointed them, because he has the promise that all things work together for good to them that love God. 
to them who are the called according to his purpose. Romans 8:28. So, the great load of sin is gone, and now the little loads are transformed, and the great future is all secure. Is not such a man placed at a wonderful advantage in the race of life? In addition to all this, the fear of death is removed from him. Is there anything more desirable than to have the dread of the grave and of that something after death effectually taken away? This body does not love death, nor is it right that it should, for the law of self-preservation is stamped upon us, and a natural fear of the stroke of death hangs over us, lest in some evil hour we should be tempted to end our own lives. Still, however, the Christian frequently looks forward to the time of his departure with intense expectancy and joy, and he awaits the inevitable hour with perfect peace, for he knows that his Redeemer lives, and that though the worms devour his body, yet in the latter day he shall in his flesh behold his God. Job 19.25-26. And so he looks serenely forward to the dreadful thing of death. Is he not placed at an advantage compared with all the rest of mankind? Let me also say about the man in Christ that he has other advantages. First, in the troubles of life, he always has a friend. You know how it is in business. If you have a good, substantial friend at your back, you feel very confident. Many young men starting out in life would have made a failure of it if they hadn't had wise and wealthy friends to support them. Sometimes they step out of the business or out of the warehouse and consult such a friend, and they feel that this advice is worth anything to them. A man in Christ has a friend. It is his own living, loving Lord, who condescends to speak with him, to hear his troubles, and to provide him with assistance. Many Christian men here know what it is to seek that friend and to speak with him. Would not your heart have broken sometimes if you could not have poured your sorrows into that fraternal heart and tell them to one who, having been tempted in all points like as you are, Hebrews 4.15, is able to meet your cares? It is a great thing to a man, too, in the voyage of life, to have a good map, and the Christian man has that. He has the Bible to tell him exactly what to do under all circumstances. You say to me, No, that's not so. That book gives general principles, but not specific directions. However, these general principles are applicable under all circumstances. I also claim that the Bible does more than supply principles, for its words are often as particularly appropriate to the individual situation as if it alone had been in the writer's eye. I have often met with texts that seemed written for that very hour, and which met my situation to the very letter. Every believer knows that this has happened to himself. After all, the general principle of the Bible, to always do what is right, is the best guide a man can have. When ambassadors meet in the council chamber, the man who amazes all the rest with his policy is he who has no policy at all except that of speaking the truth. He puzzles rivals, and they suspect him of some deep-laid scheme. All over the world, the man whom nobody can match or defeat 
is the man who has no policy except that of believing that a straight line is the shortest distance between any two places, and that he intends to follow that straight line, leaving the twisting and the indirectness to those who prefer them. The Word of God makes the simplest mind wise and discreet, because it sets forth the path of right and truth. Moreover, remember that a Christian man has a mighty spirit dwelling within him. Every Christian has had a miracle worked upon him. The human nature has been outdone by a divine work. The Holy Spirit has come to dwell in the believer, and He, in addition to enlightening him as to his way, enlivens him that he may follow it. He admonishes him when he goes astray, and inspires him with passion and zeal to press forward in his life work. Our own spirits weaken and falter, but the divine spirit is free from all imperfections. Where he dwells, there is a power, a light, and a joy unknown to all the rest of the world. A man in Christ also has the high privilege of being under the special care of God. He and his brethren are like an army marching through a foreign country, having at its back a good and steady source of supplies. Many commanders have been beaten because they have advanced too far while forgetting the necessity of having to be supplied. But the Christian knows that it is written, My God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19 His firm conviction is that those who seek the Lord and wait upon Him will not lack any good thing. Psalm 34.10 Then, being free from care, he has in his heart a wellspring of content. Moreover, he has constant communication with headquarters where his supplies are stored, for prayer communicates to heaven, and the promise is, Before they call, I will answer, and while they are yet speaking, I will hear. Isaiah 65.24 A man in Christ is a man upon an extraordinary vantage ground. The world cannot understand him, nor can it withstand him. He lives in it, yet lives above it. He glides through it, not without trial, for in the world ye shall have tribulation, but certainly without defeat. For Christ has said, Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. John 16.33 If I did not look for immortality, but expected to die like a dog, I would still want to be a Christian. If there were no hereafter, if there were no heaven or hell, if I only had to meet the sorrows, the strifes, and the cares and burdens of this mortal life, I would ask our great Master Jesus to let me enlist beneath His banner, for He gives peace and rest to all who come under His command. How did a man in Christ get to be such a man? It began when he became uneasy at finding himself where he was. He had many pleasures, but they decreased. He used to enjoy many sweets of the world, but suddenly he found them distasteful. The world grew stale. The dry and yellow leaf was on all its trees. Its flowers were faded, and its lights burned low. The man began to look around him. He looked upward and downward, within and around. Things looked as he didn't like to see them. He began to think more about these things, and the more he thought, the more unrestful his heart was. Do you dare to think? 
I know some men who dare not. If they were to attempt to think for two hours about their own condition, they would almost rather be flogged. Well, that is how it came about. The man considered himself and his ways, and as he considered, he discovered that he was without God, without Christ, and without hope. He knew that he would die. He trembled as to what his destiny must be, and a voice within him warned him to expect the worst. The good spirit was working on him, and this was the beginning of a blessed change. Then there came across this path the good news that Jesus Christ was able to save him and to save him at once, that he could blot out all his past sins and rescue him from the present power of evil. Only one thing must be done. Christ must be trusted, and he did trust him. It took him some time to see that this simple trust in Jesus could do such wonders, but he at last saw it. He trusted Jesus Christ for everything, and he found his sin pardoned and also conquered. He had always trusted himself before, but now he gave himself up to be saved by the merit of the Redeemer's blood and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Then he became indeed a man in Christ. What else happened to him when he was saved? He was given a new life. A miracle was worked upon him. A life that he had never before possessed was bestowed upon him, and this elevated him as much above other men as other men are elevated above the beasts that perish. He was body and soul before, but the Spirit of God came upon him and gave him a spirit, a third and higher principle that lifted him up into a spiritual region in which he lived as a spiritual man. He found himself completely changed from his former self. The things he loved before he now hated, and the things he hated before he now loved. He could see what he never saw before, and what once seemed very attractive to him had lost all its attractiveness. He wouldn't have known his former self if he had met him in the street. In fact, he and his old self disagreed once for all. They have never made up the quarrel and never will. He is a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Since he has received that life, he has entered farther into Christ, for he has consecrated himself to Christ. If he is a man in Christ of the type I mean, he has given himself up, and all that he has, to serve his Saviour. Some Christians remind me of the little boys who go to bathe. Frightened and shivering, they enter the water just a little. They wade up to their ankles, and they shiver again. However, the man who is really in Christ is like the experienced swimmer who plunges into the stream headfirst and finds waters to swim in. He never shivers. It strengthens him. He rejoices in it. See how at home the man of God is in the river of grace. It has become his element. For him, to live is Christ. Philippians 1 21. He has devoted himself, his substance, and all that he has to the glory of God. This is the man who understands the happiness of the Christian religion in a manner far beyond the conception of the half hearted professing Christian who has only enough religion to make him miserable. An American gentleman said to a friend, I wish you would come down to my garden and taste my apples. He asked him about a dozen times, 
but the friend never came. At last the fruit grower said, I suppose you think my apples are good for nothing, so you won't come and taste them. Well, to tell you the truth, said the friend, I have tasted them. As I went along the road, I picked up one that fell over the wall, and I never tasted anything so sour in all my life. I don't particularly want to have any more of your fruit. Oh, said the owner of the garden, I thought it must be so. Those apples around the outside are for the special benefit of the boys. I went fifty miles to select the sourest sorts to plant all around the orchard, so that the boys might give them up as to not worth stealing. But if you come inside, you will find that we grow a very different quality there, that are as sweet as honey. You will find that on the outskirts of religion there are a number of thou shalt nots, and thou shalts, and convictions, and terrors, and alarms. But these are only the bitter fruits with which this wondrous Eden is guarded from thieving hypocrites. If you can pass by the bitterness on the exterior, and give yourself completely up to Christ, and live for Him, your peace will be like a river, your righteousness will be like the waves of the sea, Isaiah 48, 18, and you will find that the fruits of this apple tree among the trees of the wood, Song of Solomon 2, 3, are the most pleasing that can be enjoyed this side of our eternal home. To all who are men in Christ, I recommend the fullest consecration to His service. May this lead to your being in Christ in the sense of being devoted to Him. The flower and crown of true Christianity is devotion. Until the name of Jesus stirs our blood, as the sound of the trumpet stirs the soldier in the day of battle, until we feel that we could die for Jesus, until we count all things but loss, that we may win Christ and be found in Him, Philippians 3, 8-9, until we grow so passionate and fervent that we want all others to know what we know, to feel what we feel, and to enjoy what we enjoy, and until we become so intense that our religion becomes bold and seeks to conquer the world, we have not known the full elevating power of the gospel of Jesus Christ.